This is Better Ideas and I'm your host Pete Calhoun and this week we're chatting to Queenslander horticulturalist and sustainability specialist Adam Woodhams who gives us his ideas on how to be more sustainable in the garden and we also talk about his new podcast series which is well let me say a sister to Better Ideas it's called Gardening Better. Then I'm off to Tassie talking with Matt Evans. Now, Matt is a documentary maker, author, and pig farmer. You've got to love a pig farmer from Tassie. And we'll be talking about how to eat meat, well, ethically. He's got a new book out called On Eating Meat. But before we get started, I was on location with Joanna Griggs filming another amazing home in Melbourne, and I asked her what's on the show this week. So, Jojo, what's on the show this Friday night? Oh, look, we have a really fun story with Ricky Lee. So uh, she first sort of burst onto our screens way back in the day with Australian Idol. She didn't finish in the top three, top four. In fact, she finished in seventh place. Hmm. But she's gone on to have the most extraordinary career where she's done everything from a hugely successful singing career. She's done a load of TV. And she's about to come back on the screens as host of Australia's Got Talent because she, she has great empathy with performers. She gets on stage. She gets involved in the acts. But we actually go back to her family home. She's got all these emotional connections to this amazing property in the Gold Coast hinterland. I mean, she's got lots of milestones. She's the only performer who performed in the opening and closing ceremony of the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, right. You know, she's done a lot. I think a lot more than most people actually realise. Incredibly down to earth. She's a great cook. She whips up a fantastic meal for it. And then five seconds later, she's out by the pool and she's about to go on this massive tour where she does her greatest hits and all the songs from A Star Is Born. And she just belts out a number of shallow, and I'm not joking, all the mountains in the hinterland around us, it was like echoing off it. It was it was literally spine-tingling wow. stuff. Like, that girl is so ridiculously talented. And as I say, she was fun, and the crew and I had the best day with her. And she's from the Goldie. She's a Goldie girl through and through. She, I think she was born in Auckland, but she came over a couple of weeks later, and all the family's out. And Mum, uh, she came along for the shoot, and she's just the most beautiful-looking woman. Like, you can see where Ricky Lee gets the looks from. And I just think she's, she's just... Yeah, quite a unique talent because she's got so many strings to her bow, but just such a warmth and a self-deprecating humour. I mean, I, I just will forever be her, you know, walking, talking cheerleader because wow. she was so impressive. Oh, that's this Friday night. That's this Friday night. Now, that's a, that's a walk around of her house. And the following week, we're actually sitting in the house that we're yeah. featuring the following week. Yeah, <laughs> how lucky have we been? We've done some ripper places yeah. for some stories coming up, but this one, I think, is, is truly spectacular. Are we allowed to say what it is? Yeah, I think we should. I think we should. Let's say Corners, the Cornerstone the House. Corner Stonehouse, folks. Yeah, and, and I mean, based on you know Melbourne's uh, incredible and very famous blue stone, which is mm. actually from this area, which is Northcott in Melbourne, and they've just completely turned, I guess, the way that you'd build a house upside down. I mean, we were joking about yeah. it that you'd normally you know build your house on rock and that's your yeah. in your foundation, yeah. but they actually crane massive big chunks, you know, eight tons yeah. of chunks of blue stone, and then built the house around it. Oh, Joe, she's always catching up with really interesting people, isn't it? So this week she's talking to Ricky Lee, the new host of Australia's Got Talent. And next week, Joanne and I take you through another amazing home, the Cornerstone House on Better Homes and Gardens. That's Friday nights, 7pm on 7. Now this week on Better Ideas, I'm bouncing from state to state and I'm starting in Queensland with sustainability expert and horticulturalist Adam Woodhams and we're going to chat sustainability. But interestingly... He's got a new way of looking at it. Hey, listen, Nat, now you, you're now the new host of our sister podcast series, Garden Better. Just give us an overarching view of this magnificent new podcast you're doing. 
Well, look, you know, I, I'm a horticulturist by trade and a lifelong gardener, and uh, my co-host, Jenny Dillon, is a, is a horty and a, a gardener as well. And I like to think of it as being gardening for the rest of us, you know, mm. as opposed to there's a lot of stuff up there that, that puts itself in that high end and it gets quite technical and everything, which is fantastic. I mean, there's, there's an absolute need for it. But there's also a lot of people out there, particularly, you know, first homeowners, younger people who are interested in gardening with the growth in organics and food gardening and all that sort of stuff, that I think they find some of this info a bit inaccessible. So Jenny and I tend to look at more of the, the stuff that people really want to know about when they're, you know, standing there in a nursery thinking, should I be buying this? I yeah. don't even know what this is. What am I looking at? <laughs> so, all those sort of questions. So, so it's gardening for dummies, and that's where I come in. It's, um... Yeah, in, in many respects. And, and often when people say gardening for dummies, they think dumb down. We always make sure we don't dumb it down. You know, we've, we've got some good gutsy information in there. Every episode I interview various people from the industry about stuff that in many respects is, are things that I just find interesting. You know, like Marone Mayad, who runs a company called Alpine Tree Movals. Now, these guys are just fascinating. You know, I mean, how many times Pete, have you driven past a big, construction or a landscape job in the afternoon and it's empty right mm-hmm. and then the next morning you drive past and there's a total landscape there with full-size trees and then you, you do a serious double take you know yeah. like how did this happen marone runs this company that specializes in transplanting these enormous trees wow. you could be building a new home and there's a beautiful magnolia there that you want to save he can come along transit you know get that magnolia out of the ground safely store it on site you can finish your construction and then you can plant it back into the landscape and really? it's it's yeah it's fascinating stuff and it sort of adds this new tier of sustainability to a lot of gardening as well because rather than in the past where you would have just you know taken something to the dump or, or run it through the shredder you're actually saving this this valuable valuable tree that could be you know could be 20 years old or it could be 100 years old just out of interest what would it cost to transplant a big mold nollie tree like that oh look it, it's always going to vary depending on the size and degree of difficulty and stuff but you are talking into the thousands mm, I um, imagine. but the, but the simple fact is you you can't put a value on something such as that because you can't just whip out to the local nursery and buy one you know absolutely what what value do you put on 50 years of growth of a, of a beautiful ornamental tree you know it's very very hard to and um in terms of preserving the trees i mean the the 50 years of beautiful natural sculpture can't be emulated i mean as designers and architects we can only be inspired by nature and you can see the real value in keeping magnificent sculptural trees like you've been describing but this sustainability discussion you've got a different take on it yourself it's not just about the environment to get the message across. I've long had a sustainable sort of bent, but it's always been to a, an environmental perspective. And then over the last, I guess, 10 years or so, that's really evolved as I've started to develop more of an awareness about what sustainability is actually about. I personally reckon that none of our leaders, whether they're in business or politics, should be allowed to to utter the S word until they've they've done a crash course on what sustainability actually means. Because often someone will, will stump up and they'll say, oh, this is a terribly sustainable project because we're saving one hectare of trees. But they might not be looking at the other sides of sustainability. For something to actually be sustainable, it has to tick the boxes from the environmental perspective, from an economic perspective, and also from a social perspective, often described as the three pillars. 
What about in the, in the home, Adam, in, in the, the business we can drill down on, on what they actually produce and we can get quite detailed and specific. Mm. But what about some generic sort of tips for people at home in terms of having sustainable principles at home on an economic and social sort of pillar, the idealistic sustainable aspect of it? Yeah, well, one of the examples I give when I do, you know, talking at garden shows and things about sustainability, one of the things that I use as a great example is mulch. I describe it as being the single simplest sustainable step you can actually take in the garden because it, it so easily satisfies and identifies those three different areas of sustainability. So from an environmental perspective, you're saving waste because it's material that might have otherwise gone to landfill. You're improving the quality of your soil, uh, so you know, and you're doing that in a natural way. So you're building up the natural good bacteria and earthworm activity and all that sort of thing. And that also then, of course, breaks down to natural nutrients. So you're feeding your plants in a in a natural sort of way. So there's your environmental sort of sides, and and also I should add, you know, of course, it saves water and reduces soil erosion and all of those sort of extra areas. From an economic perspective, you're saving money because you're not putting as much fertiliser onto your garden because your plants are actually making use of what breaks down from the mulch. You're reducing your water use, which is a, a money saving as well. You're not spending as much time in the garden looking after weeds and all of that sort of thing. So you've got a whole lot of boxes are ticked there. Mm. From the social or the human side of it, you've got a much nicer environment to be out in. You know, a garden that's well mulched looks better. It's a nicer place to relax in. Again, reducing those weeds means that you've reduced the risk of potential triggers for allergies and the like. There's a whole host of knock-on social um, or human impacts come from it as well. Mm. So, you know, just in something simple as mulching, you have those three areas satisfied very quickly. I'm talking with Adam Woodmans, who's podcast host of Garden Better, and we're getting some tips on sustainability. Now, in terms of the next podcast, mate, Gardening Better, what are you looking at? We've got uh, one of those prickly subjects that people never seem to want to tackle, which is pruning roses. And uh, we, as much as it's a visual subject, Jenny and I, we're up to the challenge. So we talk about how you can uh, prune your roses and make sure you've got some nice spring blooms. We have a bit of a look at what's happening with citrus at this time of year in the garden because many citrus are actually in fruit now and it's a good time to be picking them. I mentioned uh, my mate Maroon from Alpine Tree Movals before. We'll be having a chat with him. It's the big one, our, our last episode for the season, will be getting your garden and your outdoor furniture ready for spring. And outdoor furniture one, I don't think that can be understated because you need to you know, look after your outdoor furniture so it looks after you. And it's not just you know, giving it a coat of oil, it's also maintaining it so Nana doesn't end up on one of those you know, funny fail compilation videos of, of collapsing <laughs> deck chairs. You know? oh, I can just visualise that. Yeah, that's an important one. Hey, Ad, it's been great catching up, mate. I'm going to put you on speed dial if you don't mind and let you know how I go with gardening versus Peter. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, please do, Pete, and I will be watching you closely right. on, on, on Instagram. You are listening to Better Ideas. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast series and let your friends know. Download the ACAST app so you can watch along to all the pictures. And that's important for this next chat because now we're off to Tasmania, beautiful Tasmania. And we're talking to Matthew Evans, who has a real passion for sustainability. And in this conversation, we're talking about how to be sustainable, eating and harvesting and producing meat. This is sustainability for the taste buds. There's kids growing up around Australia 
who wouldn't really know what a real egg tastes like. This is a problem that you see in the industrialisation of a lot of our food products. Yeah, look, I think what's happened is because we've got so much more efficient and so much better at producing food at a cheaper and cheaper price relative to our incomes, there has been a, a loss, and that loss is often in the flavour. You know, an egg from a chicken that is scratched around in the dirt and, and foraged for insects is inherently flavour is better than, than one from a chicken that's, that's lived its life in a shed. And this also relates to milk, which is another big passion of yours and a big difference between natural milks, full cream milks, and, of course, homogenised milk. Just run us through the differences. Milk in Australia is it's always sold uh, pasteurised, which means it's heat treated to kill um, pathogens. So th- there's no sort of options there. You're always going to get pa- um, pasteurised milk. When I, was, I first moved to the country and I started tasting different milks, and I suddenly realised that there were, milk isn't milk, really, in the, in the true sense. When it's bottled by big companies, what they do is they take a lot of different farmers' milk from a lot of different cows, they mix it all together, and then they standardise it. There's an amount of protein and amount of fat that is in standard milk. They essentially pull milk apart to, um, to you know, pull the protein out, pull the fat out, and then put it back according to this standard recipe that they've got, you know, that they've got to match um, the criteria for. And what's really interesting, when I, I've owned dairy cows and milked cows for 10 years now, 11 years, and um, my cows don't know about that chart on the wall of the, <laughs> of the dairy. They don't know that they're supposed to have, you know, 3.5% fat and 3% protein or whatever it is the other way around. My cows just produce milk based on what they've eaten on that the previous 24, 36 hours on that day. So it changes by the cow, it changes by the season, it changes by the, you know, by the by the week, depending on what they're getting to eat, and it changes over the cow's lactation, which is um, the, the cycle of their milking. For me, that's the joy of the difference. Now, the nice thing that's happened over the last 10 years, I guess, some dairies have gone back to providing milk from a single herd, so you can taste that herd's milk from, from that season and that year, and then they don't homogenise all the milk. So you can actually get milk with the cream on top again, which is the more flavoursome milk. Some people get put off by that, you know, that little clot of cream you get in the top of the milk bottle. You know, they think that, that looks uh, like the milk's off. Mm. And I think that's probably why we went to homogenised milk. But once you discover that, you know, you know, if you're first to the milk bottle, you can put that little bit of cream on your porridge, and the rest of the milk has more flavour, then you become a convert to the, to the stuff that actually represents more the natural product that came from the cow, the way milk was, was originally. I know you're, you're bloody upset with the margarine message. That was something yeah. that really got under your taste buds, if I can use the pun. I have one of the, the generation, unfortunate enough to grow up when there was the scare campaign around margarine and, and this idea that you know, we're all going to die from eating butter. And my family got into margarine in a big way when I was growing up. And I reckon I missed, I missed 15 years of putting butter on my toast. And it's sort of interesting they've changed the recipe more recently because it was actually doing as much damage to our heart uh, or probably more than the, the, the saturated fat. And, and it wasn't giving us any gastronomic pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> none. Uh, let's face it, all these brilliant minds producing margarine, you know, this is the butter substitute. We've got, we can do the, you know, haven't produced anything. Neil Armstrong's eaten it, so that's what we should be doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they haven't produced, all these brilliant minds haven't produced anything better than butter. Which a cow can produce by eating grass. We just have to, you know, churn the cream that, that we get out of the, the cow the next day. You know, it does make me angry. It makes I'm disappointed because I lost 15 years of putting butter on my on my toast, and nowadays I'm more likely to have toast with my butter. My blood cholesterol levels are lower than they ever have been, and I'm using probably more um, really? animal fats <laughs> than I have been too. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I can't explain why, but that's uh, my wife said the same. Sadie, my partner, said the same. 
same impact on her uh, blood cholesterol, eating way more pork fat than she used to. She was a, you know, pretty much a vegetarian in, um, when she lived in the city and, and finding that her, her, um, you know, most of the stats on her health have improved by the uh, lard and tallow and cream. What tips now can you give people that are living in the city to, to address this, this milk issue, this butter issue? What's really nice over the last few years is there are options in your in in a decent food store now. So if you if you care about flavour and you you care about where things have come from and the you know the health and well-being of the animal and the, and the land the animal has walked on, you can choose to buy uh, unhomogenised milk. You can buy it from a single herd. You can buy organic milk quite often in 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 good food stores in the city. I'm pretty sure you can buy organic and biodynamic eggs in a lot of those supermarkets. There are options for people who live in town who don't have access. But the other thing is if you've got a neighbour who's got chooks you know, four doors down and they want to go away for two weeks, look after their chooks for two weeks and you'll, you'll probably get a dozen eggs every fortnight for the rest of the year You know, because they want to go on a holiday but they need someone to look after the chooks. You want good eggs. And, and I mean, that's the original system. We, you know, not everyone should do what we do, which is milk our own cows, have our own chooks and, you know, fatten our own pigs and have a market garden. I mean, that doesn't make sense uh, at all for, for people, to, everyone to do. But if you can get close to the source of your produce, so if you can buy from a dairy that's just outside your, your town that, that is a single herd that keeps the flavour in the milk, try and buy off them. Yeah, it's going to cost you more than a dollar a litre, but guess what? You know, if you pay a dollar a litre, you're not paying the true cost of production. You know, you're not paying a farmer a living wage and farmers are human beings who deserve a living wage just as much as, as in anybody else. So it might cost you a bit more than a dollar a litre, but you're going to get a great product and you're going to support someone who's doing a great job for the animals in their care at the same time. And whether it's you know, meat, dairy, eggs, you know, even vegetables, it's all, it's all the same thing. Get as close to the producer as you can and buy things as seasonally as you can uh, and then have a crack at growing something yourself, grow some the, the things that you can do. If you yeah. do have room for three trucks, give it a crack. Why not? First thing is try and grow your own. If that's not possible, try and buy locally. I'm talking to Matt Evans, the gourmet chef, and he's just got a new book out on eating meat. This has become a real mission for you, hasn't it, Matt? Just to, just to raise people's awareness of, of how cruel some of these practices are. And you are a meat eater, so you're not advocating complete vegetarianism, but we need to be aware of what's happening. Yeah, look, I think what's really interesting in Australia, we eat the most meat of any nation on earth. We, we sort of swap trade places with the US, about 110 kilos of meat per person per year on average. And the average is including all the people who choose not to eat meat uh, at all, you know, like vegans or vegetarians. So we eat three times as much meat as, as they recommend uh, that we need for, for, for health reasons. Wow. And every time you do that, an animal lives and dies at, at your behest. Someone has reared an animal for you. Now, I didn't really realise how animals were raised when I first started farming. I had sort of some inkling about some of the practices. The more I looked into it, I realised that, you know, a cow isn't just a, a cow, a pig isn't just a pig, a chicken isn't just a chicken. How they are reared and the impact on the world and the flavour that they can carry is very much dependent on how they're farmed and the farmer who is responsible for those lives. Your average punter doesn't doesn't rear the animal to their own table. The farmer does it on their behalf. We can make sort of better decisions when we buy stuff to try and help the farmer do a better job for the animals and for the and for the land that the animals you roam. So, you know, if, if you don't pay the 
the true cost of agriculture. This is this sort of old-fashioned saying, old saying, which is so true. If you don't pay the true cost of production, something suffers. And it might be the farmer. Yeah, they may not earn enough money to have a living wage. It could be the animal that suffers in some way, doesn't get to express its instincts and, or maybe has a miserable life. It could be the environment in terms of it could be erosion or too many nutrient buildup in the soil or, you know. You know um, Let's just backtrack and remind people that you're not a vegetarian. You, you, you actually eat meat, you raise meat, kill meat and, and eat your own meat. And you, you believe that if you eat flavoursome, fat-filled pork and meat, you actually eat less of it because your, your taste buds don't crave as much. Yeah, no, I'm a really big believer in that. I was sort of surprised when I started to get closer to the source of my produce. Before we grew some of our own animals, we would get them off smaller farms or farmers who reared animals for you know, maybe for longer or on more flavoursome feed and better farmers in my view. And, and we suddenly discovered that we had this meat with more flavour. And I went, oh, you know what, I eat less of it. There's no way I could eat, you know, a... 250 gram steak from a three-year-old steer because this it you know the you know meat that's really uh, got in, intensity and flavour and a really good fat coating and, and marbling through the meat it becomes too rich you get as much pleasure from a mm. smaller amount of meat and you get as much satisfaction in terms of assuaging your hunger from a smaller piece of well-raised meat as you do from a bigger piece of you know, super lean, um, fast raised, lesser quality meat. And because all these animals are being reared and killed at our command, the less meat we eat, the less animals have to be reared. You know, I think it's a really nice synergy between my first interest, which is gastronomic and eating well, and and my, I guess my moral standpoint, which is we don't want to damage the earth through our meat eating. What's the best way to to be able to sustainably rear animals? Because people want to eat meat, not just me, but most Australians do. Is there a way to do Mm. that? with the mm. least damage, you know, or less damage, you know, maybe in a way that we can do it forever. So fat equals flavour. Your three-part doco, The Love of Meat, goes into a, into a lot of this this detail, and I'd urge people to, to give it a, give it a look. That's The Love of Meat. What are the key messages, though, people are taking out of, out of that documentary, the real tips that people can take home from that? There are options in terms of different ethical standards. So there is... Um, RSPCA approved chickens, which guaranteed better conditions than non-RSPCA approved chickens. Then you can spend a little bit more money and go to free range and you can spend even more money and go to organic. You can find free range pork in in supermarkets now. You can find cage-free eggs in pretty much everywhere you you go and shop. And, And when you make that choice, that better choice. It doesn't matter all the times when you can't make a choice because you don't have the money mm. or they don't have the geography. Don't worry about that. When you have the opportunity to make a better decision, then you will have an impact on a good farmer and you will have a better impact on the land carries the carries the farmer that carries the animals that, that you're going to eat. I myself eat a lot of white meat, a lot, a lot of chicken and a lot, and a lot of fish. And you've done some work in this area as well in, in, in terms of seafood. I was astonished the way they treat Sharks. I mean, I swim in the ocean every day, and it's always in the back of your mind. But God, I felt sorry for some of the the way they treat some of these sea animals and the way they harvest them. So it's really interesting. We have this attitude. There's all these rules around if you want to kill a pig or a chicken or a sheep, and you've got to minimise the suffering. And then we do these terrible things to sea-based animals. We, I think because they're you know they're cold-blooded and slimy or something, we think perhaps they don't feel pain. But yeah, they, they have this thing where they eat live fins, so they pull mm. in shark. I've seen boxes of frozen fish coming in from overseas with the Latin name of hammerhead shark on there. I mean, there's no way you'd be able to kill a hammerhead in Australian waters and serve it. These species are threatened. So when you eat seafood, it's really, probably more than meat, it's really important to know where it's come from and to know what damage is caused. Uh, you know, is it, is it from a sustainable fishery? Does it promote slave labour? Like there's a lot of um, fishing done through Southeast Asia using slave labour. 
it, it is complicated. It is hard. If you kind of know where your seafood's come from, that's the first step. If you know where your meat comes from, that's your first step. There's so many things that <laughs> we, we need to consider. What are three things we can remember when we go to the supermarket, when we prepare our food on a daily basis? Okay, the first one is food is your friend, okay? So don't feel guilty just because you haven't had the time or the money or the opportunity to thinking about this topic in the way that I might or you, perhaps you might, Peter, because mm. your average person, they're just going to get food on the table, as you say, three meals a day, seven days a week. So don't feel guilty. See food as your friend. Try and choose as natural as possible, as close to the source as possible. So unprocessed, uh, you're always processed as little as possible in season, ideally from someone who knows the grower or you know, if you can near a farmer's market, you know, meet the grower. And then I guess it's this really, really boring thing, read the label. If you can see on the label something says free range or it says organic or it says cage free and that is a better choice, when you have that opportunity, make that better choice because every time you make that better choice, you make the world a better place. Don't feel guilty, make the world a better place when you have that chance. Thanks, Matt, for bringing your passion and a bit of the Hewan Valley in, into into today's podcast. Just let me ask you, what are you cooking for dinner tonight? Oh, you know what? We killed a, an animal on the farm three weeks ago. It's been hanging in a in a cool room, dry aging some beef. I'm actually going to have – it's a very rare thing. We get it once a year. I'm going to have a little bit of scotch fillet, mm-hmm. dry aged scotch fillet cooked on the barbecue with some beef fat roasted potatoes because they are probably the best potatoes when they're roasted in beef fat. All right, mate. Well, listen, I could probably jump on a flight be there by there by the four o'clock. Hume Valley. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of it. <laughs> Good on you, mate. quite big. So yeah. See you soon, Peter. Thanks, pal. Now, Matthew has done some pretty amazing projects, hasn't he? Now, if you want to know more about eating meat, put some more meat on the bones, so to speak. Grab his book on eating meat. It's out now. Next week on Better Ideas, Ed Hamaji from Better Homes and Gardens breaks down some myths on slow cooking. Now, this is important. What I didn't realise how dangerous it can be. He gives his tips and somewhat of a science lesson, as only Ed can do, on how to transfer bland into grand. And Graham Rowe from the Better Homes and Gardens team talks sustainable garden design. That's next week on Better Ideas, which is a Seven West Media production. Loretta Farrell, the producer. Nikki Hamilton, the executive producer. And I'm your host, Pete Calhoun. Mm-hmm.